I present you the perfect pet. It is OpenCat. It's a GPL3, highly programmable and maneuverable robotic cat that's powered by AI and 3D printing with a Raspberry Pi for extra flavor. Well, isn't that neat? <laughs> this is Oh, they got a video. Should we roll the should oh, we roll yeah, the live let's, dice? Let's check and, it out. Okay, here we go. Let's, is it creepy or cute? That's what we want to know. The open cat demo. Oh boy. Oh boy. So it's crawling. It looks like a kid's robotic toy. It does, yeah. Um it does have the ability to f- get itself back up when it gets oh. knocked over. That'll be useful. Here's version two. Wars. You know, I gotta say, version two is looking a lot better. They're really, uh, they're really committed to this thing, Wes. They're really committed to this thing. I mean, it is pretty, pretty impressive. Now, I don't know that I want to have it like around my house if I didn't, yeah, didn't build it. But right, or when you're sleeping, would you always make sure to turn it off? I mean, think about that for a second. Do you want some robot cat? Because a real cat, they roam around the house at night. You can respect the project here on this. <laughs> Maybe this. you could turn it into like a RoboCat security <laughs> droid. <laughs> Maybe mount a laser on oh, there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is Linux Unplugged, episode 238 for February 27th, 2018. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that is covered in barbecue and been cleaning up dog poo. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. It's one of those pre-shows, Wes. Good and bad. Good we and bad. We made it. We're here. Yeah. The show must go on. We fired up the barbecue pre-show for the first time. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The grill. For the first time. And uh, we had to feed ourselves to prepare our bodies to cover all of the community news that we've got this week. I feel like this should be a nice, calm relaxing Linux Unplugged that we'll, we'll wander through before I head off to scale. I need something low-key because the next Take week... Take it easy, recharge. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy going down to Pasadena, California. So we're going to go through just a few bits, a couple of apps, some nice community news, an update on XFCE. Did you know there actually is some progress on the XFCE desktop? Yes. Yes, they're nearly to GTK3. We'll tell you all about that, their current status. Our buddy Wimpy's here with a pretty cool option for Ubuntu Mate installers for 18.04 coming up. And the crew over at KDM Live has a killer new release that's in the works that might just give Final Cut a run for its money. Oh! Yeah. Then we'll check in on that poll about dropping Discord and switching back to IRC, see what the results were. And then, Wes, it's time to bring a little freedom to your vehicle. Oh, finally. I've been debating this myself. Should I get one of them, like... You know, Android auto dashes because my, my radio needs to be replaced. It's bad. And I'm like, yeah, maybe I'll do that. But then I don't want to be locked into like one particular hardware vendor and they're probably not going to update it properly and it's probably going to be underpowered. So I've never really pulled the trigger on like upgrading my car sound system. But friends, if you wait long enough, the open source community always provides a solution. So this week we're going to talk about Crankshaft which is a turnkey Linux distribution for the Raspberry Pi that transforms it into an Android Auto headset. All you need is a Raspberry Pi 3 board and the official Raspberry Pi 7-inch touchscreen, which is like 60 US dollars. And then you got a turnkey Linux distro. We'll tell you about it. Yeah. Have you heard of Crankshaft, Wes? No, I have not. Well, you will hear more about it coming up. But let's start with some community news. this has been sort of leaking out in bits and details here and there. Corbin Davenport over at AndroidPolice.com writes that it looks like Chrome OS may soon be able to run Linux applications in a container. 
course, you're probably thinking, well, why does it have to do in a container? <laughs> Chrome OS is based on Linux. Well, I'm sure it's many reasons, security being one of them. It looks like this is coming from some documentation that's leaked out. And uh, if you go to Chrome Unbox, they have a Chrome OS developer who uploaded two screenshots of the container feature and what it'll look like. You get a pop-up that comes up with a description that says, would you like to develop on your Chromebook? You can run your favorite Linux apps in command line tools seamlessly and securely. And then it gives you a couple of prompts to install Terminal. Ooh, look yeah. at that. I like the... Reminds me of the subsystem for Linux. It's like a freedom box right there. Doesn't this kind of remind you? Uh, yeah. It's like, the, it's, like, it's like Google's answer to the subsystem for Linux on Windows for Chrome OS. Does that make sense? It's like they're, they're trying to be competitive with that feature on Windows. Mm-hmm. Well, That's I mean, it kind of targets that splits the difference. You can still have a, a simple platform for most end users, but, you know, your developers or other people that need a little little bit extra, that option's there. Is it actually usable, though? That would really be I, my question. That's a good question. I, is, you know, are Chromebooks fast enough? I don't know. Let's ask the Mumble Room. Time-appropriate greetings there, Mumble Room. Welcome to the show, guys. Can I? Hello. Oh, hey there. Hello. Snuck it in there. You didn't know when I was going to do it, did you? I surprised you. <laughs> Get it out of here. So, uh, Wimby, what do you think of this? Do you think this would actually make Chromebooks a viable solution? The thing that crossed my mind is students. Like, my son has a Chromebook provided by his school. I think anything that enables people to experiment with Linux in an accessible way is a good thing, uh, particularly for students. Yeah, and I could see too, like if you you know if you've got a limited budget or whatever, the, or it's like again, it's it's provided. Uh, it just sort of opens up a whole new range of functionality. And I wonder, I wonder what the limits will be. That's really going to be the question. You know, how far will Google let you take this? What are they going to make available? Is it only just going to be a couple of things? Terminals, interesting. That makes sense. That's they, a big start, yeah, yeah. Right? And then if it's all contained, they don't have to worry about you mucking around with Chrome OS. So check that out. We'll have a link in the show notes. Anybody else in the mum room, if you want, if you have anything to, anything to add, if you're a Chromebook user, I'd be particularly interested. But I'm not a Chrome. I'm not a Chrome OS user. I am still reluctantly an Evernote user. And um, there's, it's, I don't know how many different Evernote clients or Evernote alternatives or Evernote killers that we have covered on this show, but we have one more. One more because the question still comes in. And if you're like me, you're still stuck with this thing, especially when you travel. It's called Tusk. It's an Evernote client, and it seems to actually connect to the Evernote backend. It's also available as a snap. They say they've improved integration with Linux. That seems like a good thing. That's great. It has some markdown cheat sheet sheet support. Um, I haven't tried it myself because I still haven't decided if I'm going to just quit Evernote cold turkey or not, but it does look pretty compelling. And Joey over OMG Ubuntu wrote a pretty good write up that kind of makes me want to give it a go again. It looks good. Like it, if you look at the video, sharp looking, yeah, it actually looks better than the official Evernote client. Uh, so I don't, you know, this almost this is almost Tusk is almost taken to the point where it's like I don't even want Evernote to, I don't even need them to. This looks this just looks even better than what they're done. Done. I'm good. And it's just a snap away. So Just a freaking snap away. Have you tried it, Wimpy? It's a snap. I mean, aren't you obligated to try all snaps? I think that's <laughs> uh, in the contract. Popey's <laughs> been working on that one, so uh, I've uh, I've not installed that one yet. But then again, I don't use Evernote, yeah, so you have to be I've Evernote got no user. real need to. Good on you for avoiding that that trap. I, I didn't I got into it it's like poison when mobile, you know, was brand new. And I, I just assumed they'd, I just assumed they'd eventually get something for Linux, and I was, I, I regret that decision. 
But damn, if it doesn't have some of the best OCR features. Like when I'm traveling, I can take pictures of signs of places that I need to note for like show reference or just for travel purposes. That is extremely valuable for me. So maybe Tusk will uh, solve that. We'll see. Maybe I'll give it a go once I get back because I'm probably going to end up using Evernote on my phone while I'm traveling. It almost always happens. You know, reservation stuff. It's just easy. It's there. It works. Uh, I tell you what, Wes. Tell you what. Let's talk about something else, something to pick me back up, improving laptop battery life. This is some work that the Fedora Project has been putting in, and they've outlined some of the ways that they're trying to enable various hardware power-saving features by default in Fedora. So one of the things that they're implementing, and maybe we're going to see this in other distributions too, I would assume, but right now Fedora is the one that's talking about it. Uh, They're going to make a new Satellink power management policy, which actually mirrors the Windows defaults. Um, Surprisingly, surprisingly is often a good way to go when it comes to some of this hardware power management stuff. Uh, enable Intel HDA codec power saving by default with a one-second timeout, which saves 0.4 watts of power on a laptop. That's a huge amount, really. And by the way, the uh, Satellink power management could save up to 1.5 watts of power on an idle laptop. That's a sweet deal. That's a big deal right there. And then enable USB auto suspend for USB Bluetooth receivers by default. We'll see how that goes. Uh, which could also save 0.4 watts. And I like that they actually put numbers on this stuff. Uh, when you add all that up, though, it could be a pretty decent battery savings on Fedora, which could really kind of make the distro stand out. Uh, and I like that they're um, enunciating all of the stuff they're doing over here on the uh, on the wiki. Now, they yeah, have, that stuff takes tuning, and so it's nice to it's, yeah. it's nice to be explicit about it. Look at this too; they have this um, table, I guess, of uh, the SATA PowerLink management policy changes testing. And so they have like Dell laptops and HP laptops and Lenovo laptops and Asus ZenBooks on here as well, and um, it's legit. It is really – it's pretty legitimate. So they have comparisons before and after. So let me – I'll just pink out. Let's like say the ThinkPad T400, for example, uh, using an SSD. Before their tweaks it, on idle, it was sitting there taking 13.6 watts of power. After their tweaks, which will just be enabled by default, idle, it drops to 11.8. So it goes from 13.6 to 11.8 watts. And that could really translate into more minutes on a battery. And some of the changes are less dramatic. Some of them are even more dramatic. Some of them are barely noticeable. <clears throat> One of them that kind of jumps out at me is the Elite Book, the HP Elite Book, uh, 8540W. Uh, it goes from 18.8 to 17.9. You know, a point actually, it's, a, it's, it's decent actually. They're all, they're all noticeable. They're, none of them are actually anything to scoff at. Um, They're all savings I'll take, that's for sure. They tried on the Lenovo ThinkPad X1 Carbon 2nd Gen. They tried to enable some of the Satellink power management stuff, and it produced data corruption. Uh, whoopsie. Whoa. That's a nice thing to know about ahead of time. So don't go just playing with this stuff, maybe. You know? Don't go just trying that on your own distro to see if it's going to... Uh, or at least not uh, with data you care about. But it'll be really interesting to run Fedora 28 on a laptop and and then run 27 and see if I could actually... Just just perceive a difference, not have to measure, but can I just perceive it? Yeah, does it feel feel different to the end user? Yeah. And what's nice about this is it doesn't require like a bunch of crazy p- software they have to pre-install or like, it's not requiring like a whole bunch of new packages on the, on the ISO. Just some new good defaults. Yeah. And people will talk about, hey, if you want great battery life, use Fedora. For at least a little while. So that'll be good for them, too. You just said it right there. So uh-huh. now people are saying it. <laughs> it's it's being said. It's being said. There's um, some uh, great news, too, for those of you that instead of installing Fedora 28, are going to be installing Ubuntu 18.04. But we're just talking about the future releases here, aren't we? 
Uh, on Ubuntu 1804, it appears that you will now be able to switch snap package channels. I'm probably screwing that up a little bit, but my layman's understanding is one of the features of snap packages is that you can have um, like a beta channel and a release channel. And now the GNOME software, or I think it's just called software, will let you choose which channel you want to subscribe to. I think I'm getting that all right. Wimby, do you want to errata any of that? Yeah, yeah, you've got that about right. So um, by default, there are four channels. There's stable, which is self-explanatory. Candidate, which is where developers will put their release candidates. Betas for betas. And edge, which is typically what you'd hook up to your CI system. So after every commit or your daily or nightly builds, they would all land in edge. Ah. So you can do your integration testing. And now what you can do in um, GNOME software in 1804 is when you look at the details for a snap in Software Center, um, it tell it has a, a label there for the track, or rather the channel, that it's currently installed from, which by and large would be stable. And if you click on that, it will produce a list of the other channels that are available to you. So if you want to test the current beta or you want to get the latest crack from Edge, then you can switch that and switch those uh, channels. But what it also enables you to do is some of the um, people that are publishing in the store are using tracks, which are in addition to those channels. So, for example, um, JetBrains have their early access program. So you can access the early access versions of all of their products through their EAP um, track. And likewise with uh, Skype, you can access their insiders builds. So if you want to test out the really, really latest stuff, then you can also switch to those tracks through GNOME software as well now. That is that is really cool that JetBrains is doing that. Um the, the aspect that I like about it from an end user's perspective is it's tidier when I search for, an, for a, an app because instead of getting three or four entries for Slack or Mumble, it's just one entry. And then I can, I can tack on which channel I want during yeah, the installation. It's very yeah. clean. Clear. What, what level of risk you're prepared to take <laughs> as a user. Yeah. And so um, if I say do an edge release of something – that doesn't necessarily mean it's um, in it's containerized or not. It's sandboxed or not. It could be it could be a edge release and still be sandboxed. Correct. Yeah. Okay. The edge 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 is just they're just just labels. the release. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're just labels. So it's whatever the developer feels comfortable inputting in those channels. What is the terminology for one that isn't sandboxed? Is it? Uh, Legacy or what's the term that when you're doing install? There's, there's classic, classic, which is yeah. it's without any uh, confinement, and then there is also okay. dev mode, which um, you can't publish in the stable channel. Right, um, and dev mode is kind of a reduced confinement model whilst you're iterating on your snap and you yeah, know okay. uh, scaffolding it together. Classic, I think, is what I was thinking of. Um, and so now you don't have even have to worry about what was the syntax or how do I add it to the install command. Now it'll just be exposed via the GUI for users yep. installing software, which is great. Yeah, it makes it seem much more first class. Yeah, so that way when you know it's available like I just did, but I couldn't quite remember the syntax, that's perfect for that. That's where that kind of stuff is really nice. Um, and um, is that, do you know, an upstream thing, Wimpy, or is that unique to Ubuntu? It's part of the um, Snap plugin for GNOME software. Ah, ah, oh, of course. So it's implemented at the plugin level. That is. Yeah. 
that actually is that actually you know you got to say gnome software is actually keeping up like when it was uh when it was thought up we weren't we weren't talking flat packs and snaps were we and uh in the past i could have seen that having to be completely revamped i'm not going to say it's my favorite <laughs> way to install software or find software or even look at software but i got to give them credit for the fact that they haven't had to throw out the entire thing you know to 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 support flat packs that's an open source win Yay for plugins, I guess. All right, Wes. I know uh, you're not a big XFCE user. Have you ever been an XFCE? Oh yeah, back in the day. Oh, for were sure. you? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, that's nice. That's nice. I was too. It's been it's been probably five years now. But yeah, same. Yeah, I'd say it's been about five years. Yeah, I actually used it quite a bit for a while, and um, it's kind of almost it's it's a it's a meme in a way in the Linux community about how long it takes for XFCE to ship. Um, and they've been working on uh, 4.14, I think, for, for three years. Um, and the big part of 4.14 is the transition to GTK3. And don't think of XFCE as one monolithic thing either. Think of it as a set of many different software components. Like you have Thunar for the file management. You have the window manager. You have the panels. You have the settings daemon. You have the power manager, the session initializer itself. And then, of course, you have the XF Desktop, which is the program that's responsible for managing desktop icons and backgrounds. So there's lots of subcomponents. It goes on, actually. There's more. There's more. There's lots of other components. And uh, 4.14 has really been a process of porting everything to GTK3 Plus instead of GTK2 and using GDBus instead of DBus Lib and then using symbolic icons for all the panel plugins and removing depreciated widgets from code, you know, old, old crap in the code. And as they've moved along, they've made some good progress. They have um, ported many things to GTK3, including Thunar, the file manager, and the panel, and the power settings, and the settings manager itself, and the desktop session manager. But there is some low-hanging fruit that uh, doesn't even have maintainers, like the calendar application, or the archive manager, or the CD burning application, or the volume control so there's a few things that just – they're not even like getting started yet. Um, so that's a, that's a bit rough. There's 118 open bugs in XF Desktop, 119 in XF, XFCE4 Session, 206 in XFCE4 Settings, and it goes on. So they're, they're behind here. And I think what my concern is is you're dealing with 15 contributors essentially uh, who are working on their free time to port these projects, to get them ready – and there's no real big corporate interest in XFCE. There's no Red Hat or Canonical or SUSE behind XFCE. And there's not a, any real big major distro that's even shipping it as its default desktop. So they're kind of an underdog here. They're, they're just it, – it is, it is just a passion project for these people. And there's no escaping the elephant in the room that is GTK4. <laughs> I mean like it's, it's getting close. By the time they get XFCE 4.14 out – GTK4 could really be close to stable. And then they have to start again. I don't know if it's going to be the same amount of work, but that's to say nothing of Wayland support. Yeah, I mean, XFC has a lot. There's a lot going on. It's not, you know, it's a, it's a, it has a lot of functionality as yeah. a desktop. It's not a bad desktop. That's, that's a, I'm sure there's a sizable code base to port. Yeah, I, 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 it's hard for a, for a project like that. It really is tough. Um, and I, I, I know that we have folks in the audience that love it. You know, Joe from Linux Action News and Late Night Linux, it's his number one driver. And I've used it myself. 
I mean, the pace is concerning, perhaps, it? but the it, it's nice to at least see some details of the process that it is. It seems like they have at least semi-structured way to go about doing it and to work does progress. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody in the mumble room, a, uh, an XFCE occasional user or a full-time user? I'm betting no. Well, yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't use the desktop per se. Yeah. But I do, uh, I use XFCE for terminal. And yeah. It's great for that. A couple of the labs. Yeah. Or like X to go. But honestly, I think I think Wimpy has played a big role in, uh, <laughs> in making it irrelevant for me because uh, Mate has gotten so compelling, and especially Ubuntu Mate over the last few years. Right. And so, where well, I used XFCE in the past, I now use Mate. So it's kind of your fault, Wimpy. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the <laughs> to the XFC project for that. But I, I would like to point out that you know it took Mate an awfully long time to port from GTK two to GTK three. The only reason it wasn't so obvious is we were maintaining a GTK2 and a GTK3 code base in parallel during that transition, which to some extent probably delayed delayed things. But for as long as I've been involved in Mate, which is getting on for six years now, uh, we were doing that migration to GTK3. And I think as a team, we're only satisfied that we've really kind of got there with the last release, which was last month, in terms of the GTK3 stuff, in that now every if-def you know rule in the code for special casing different versions of GTK have been removed because wow. we're now just coalesced around GTK 322, which is the last stable release of GTK 3. You know what that I said? Yeah, go, go on. on. Well, no, I, I, I want you to finish. Um, you, you said that, you know, the next thing is GTK 4. Yeah. There's no obligation to immediately start you know, porting to GTK4. GTK3, I mean, everything's just landed on GTK3, even things like um, uh, Chrome, Firefox, right. LibreOffice, you know, those things have only just, you know, within the last, um, you know, months even, you know, LibreOffice a bit longer, but, you know, in within months have started to properly take their hints from gtk3 right so i think it's going to be some time and there's even you know the bigger projects like gimp you know that have been around forever they're still gtk2 so there's still you know catch up to be done you know all over the place yeah that's a great point that is a gtk3 will be a stable target for you know desktops and application developers for some time to come and in the world of flat packs and snaps does it perhaps matter a little bit less if you know you if you've got an application in theory that needs GTK three dot two two, you should be able to ship that for quite a while as a flat pack or a snap, even exactly. if my desktop is GTK four at that point. Yeah, absolutely. But I I think you'll see GTK three and GTK four living alongside each other in distros in the future in the same way that we have GTK two and GTK three living alongside each other, uh, you know, and have done for many years sure. now. That mm-hmm. makes, that makes a lot of sense. You know what I, so they're not talking about Wayland, um, but I don't see, I don't see Mate talking a lot about Wayland. I've seen you make a few hints that in a, in a, in a recent 1804 post, I think you said, don't don't get too excited by some of the Wayland work in there. It's not what you think. I think was yeah. something similar <laughs> to that wording. Yeah. What's, what's that about? We've, we've been having uh, – well, the Wayland, the Wayland uh, 
references that you may have seen in the change logs were actually to explicitly turn on X Wayland for some of the applications. Ah. So for people that were installing the Mate applications in a GNOME session, for example, which was, you know, Wayland by default on Fedora and, you know, on Ubuntu 17.10, it meant that those applications would actually work. <laughs> I see. Um, Great. But, but they are, it is not a full, you know, Wayland implementation. It just enables X Wayland to step in and, and take over. But, um, we have had our uh, our upstream conversations with the Core Mate team uh, just this week about our road to Wayland, um, and we've got some more discussions to have there. But we're we're starting to form a plan about how we're going to go about that. Is your sense that it is more work than the port to GTK three? Um, yes, although we may get lucky in terms of how we can go about doing this in that there right. may be some right. people who can, can can assist us some do some heavy um, lifting as it were yeah 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 so in the future when when that's all fleshed out i will i will come back on and explain yeah. more about how we're going to tackle that one yeah. i think that's going to be extremely interesting to watch because uh i think that could be useful for other projects as well all right well yes. uh good stuff all right well don't go too far i want to keep talking about uh, mate for just a moment but i do want to take a break and thank DigitalOcean. so stand by while we mention did i i did get i did get this in last week this great deal we have digitalocean.com you go to do.co slash unplugged. That's the URL I go to right now because I, I'm pretty sure that's the best way to get the special $100 credit offer that DigitalOcean is offering the Jupiter Broadcasting audience. It's a limited time offer, and I believe it lasts for 60 days once you apply it to your account. Now, this is incredible because, honestly, in the past, the traditional – and it's gonna, what I'll go back to – is the $10 credit, which is legitimately enough to get real work done for like two months on DigitalOcean. It, it's awesome. So the $100 credit blows my mind. You and go I, build anything you want. I, yeah. And I think this is what they're thinking because it's true infrastructure on demand. Everything's SSDs, eight data centers all over the world, a killer dashboard to manage all of it, and then an API to automate it when you're ready to go or just grab some open source code that does it already. But here's where I think they're going with the $100 credit is they got a couple of new types of droplets that are killer. So they got a $15 a month one where you can mix and match the different resources, which depending on what you're doing, maybe you it don't might need just work out. Yeah. You maybe you need more RAM and you don't necessarily need a lot of local disk or maybe you need a ton of CPU for something and you just mix and match as you need it. And they also there are standard droplets, which you can get for $5 a month starting there. They just got even more competitive. They have they're more everything, more everything. And you, if you have an existing one, you can upgrade it for free. Oh. They just, they're crushing it. It's great. DigitalOcean.com or DO.CO slash Unplugged. I've been a customer for, I think, four years now, which blows my mind. We have large parts of the Jupyter Broadcasting infrastructure, which load, which run on DigitalOcean 24-7. And that means I am now down to one server on premise, which is just a large storage free NAS server now. When we first started at Jupiter Broadcasting, we brought in an i7 rig with lots of memory and lots of local disk and an NFS disk, and we ran a bunch of systems in, in a VM, Proxmox. I mean, I told you guys about this all on the show. And over the years, it is so much simpler, so much faster, 
And honestly, long term, it's costing me way less to run on DigitalOcean than having to spend thousands and thousands of dollars on local infrastructure. And the nice thing is, is we can build for what we need today and then easily expand it. I, I've said enough. Really, all you need to know is do.co slash unplugged, $100 credit if you're a new customer. Hot off the presses right there, Wes. Limited time offer. So go take advantage of it because uh, I was negligent in telling you about it soon enough. Also, if you want to get yourself some webmail set up, I'm a fan of the Round Cube. That's one of my more. Uh, I think it's. I think it's like. I don't know. I don't know what else you could compare it to. Actually, it's the closest to something like a Gmail or a, or a or a, like a commercial web mail client that you can run and host yourself. Round Cube. It just connects to your mail server over IMAP and SMTP. So you don't even necessarily have to host your own mail server. You could connect it to just another IMAP server that you have or that you may be already using. Roundcube, they have a they have a tutorial on DigitalOcean for how to set it up. I don't actually know. Don't tell them I said this, but I don't think there's anything necessarily to DigitalOcean specific, maybe than just the very beginning of tar- installing the computer. Um, but the rest would work if you just had your own system. Yeah, it's just great documentation. Yeah. Or, you know, go spin up a VPS over on DigitalOcean. They call them droplets. Put up RoundCube and then point it to an IMAP server that you've been using. And now you just got yourself Done. webmail that you're hosting that somebody else isn't slurping down. That's pretty great. Do.co slash unplugged. All right. So, <laughs> Wimby, I was uh, talking before the show with you. And you started describing uh, the minimal installer uh, work that you're doing for Ubuntu Mate. And I thought, okay, yeah, that sounds decent. But the more you talked about it, I started thinking, geez, this might be the most popular implementation. Like this is sounding really, really good. So let's back up a little bit and maybe just a super quick refresher on what the minimal install is. And uh, I guess maybe some of the work you had to do to get it in Ubuntu Mate because I guess you don't just inherit that. You have to make some choices and implement some decisions. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about it. So this is piggybacking on the work of my colleagues, uh, Did Rocks and Laney who have landed the minimal install capability in the Ubiquiti installer. So um, I just happened to be poking around in the Ubiquiti code on an unrelated matter yesterday evening, and I noticed that this feature had um, had landed. So um, I contacted Laney and said, so how do I turn this on? Ubuntu Mate and he said oh it's easy you just create this file and you put the things in it that you want to be removed from your from your install so um, I, I did that work for Ubuntu Mate last night um, and and then the nightly images ah. run so it's I, built I it is built it. for the flavors to to use as well like it was built purpose-built yeah. for that it's not just unique to just upstream ubuntu no any any of the flavors can take advantage of it so if i'll, I'll just go into some tech speak because i know some of the flavor maintainers um uh, listen to the podcast so um what you do is you modify your seeds uh, and the seeds are uh, what where you list what applications are um Com- what your distribution is comprised of so the applications that uh, are in the core image uh, in the in the base image and you add a new file in there and it's simply called desktop.minimal-remove and in that file you basically list all of the packages that you want to be removed from the default install and if that file exists when ubiquity runs it will now present a new option in the installer so in the install screens if you've installed ubuntu before you will have seen a screen where it asks you if you want to install updates while um, it's installing and if you want to install additional codecs on that screen you'll see a new option which is do you want the minimal install 
and it describes the minimal install as you know the desktop and utilities and browser only that and oh yeah i mean now when you're combining like lightweight mate with a minimal install so it's just firefox basic desktop tools core utilities no vlc no thunderbird no calculator uh, well, the calculator is part of the core sort of Mate <laughs> desktop, of so course. you get that. Yeah, you need that. So you know, you get you get the file manager and the text editor and the document viewer and the yeah. image viewer. Yeah, that makes but sense. you don't get you don't get LibreOffice, you don't get Thunderbird, you don't get VLC, you don't get Rhythmbox. You know, all all of that extra stuff. You don't get transmission. You know, so everything additional to the the core desktop is effectively removed so you get a very trim simple system and you know i was thinking to myself you know who would who would use this and and why would you use it and i've heard a few people say oh well you know i like to you know um curate my own desktop experience i know what applications i want so they would want that but i was thinking to myself how would i use it and I was thinking, well, I've I've got one machine that I use specifically for gaming now, and I would choose the minimal option on that machine. Sure. So I just get the base stuff, and then I can slap Steam on top of that, and I've just got a real trim machine for running Steam. Or you could create your own Kodi boxes, you know, in a similar in a similar way as well. Yeah, I do like that. I was just thinking too, like you could absolutely see it as a. <clears throat> excuse me as a workstation os uh where you know maybe you go to work and you install slack and you have to install chrome and maybe even skype and all yeah. of these things that just are uh, kind of um um i don't know just they're just they're just applications now that you can snap install or go get go get have the, a real minimal base or you go get the dev yeah. yeah the software boutique actually makes some of that easier on 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 mate but yeah i could yeah i really like that because i'm generally going to ubuntu mate for a minimal lean lean mean fighting machine yeah but what it retains is all of the underlying hardware support so anything you need for your network devices to function that's all still included anything you need for bluetooth and audio that's all still included so it's just that that layer of applications on the top but it's down to each um, flavor maintainer to choose what they want to remove so there's no prescribed list um, my the list in ubuntu mate is different than the list in ubuntu for example um, and so it means that the, there's know, a the could... question the question that's coming up uh before we go too far off that is uh how is this different than an install script that just uh just is like a different set of packages to install how is this different than an install script is essentially what the chat room is asking in irc how it's different from an install well it's the opposite of an install script it's an uninstall script essentially i like that yeah because yeah. it's an image that's getting deployed to the hard drive right yeah. it's getting so based on yeah. the live environment yeah, so the image that's on the ISO, there is a SquashFS file system, and that is effectively put on your hard disk. And then at the end of that process, there are already some packages that get removed. The installer itself, for example, so Ubiquity, the installer, removes itself as part of the cleanup of the installation. So what this uh, minimal install does is it tacks itself on to that that piece of the uh, code that's already there to build out a bigger list of what should be removed. And then it rattles through that list and removes anything that the the maintainer has identified as this is stuff you don't need in a minimal install. 
Okay. Interesting. That, ma- that makes huh. sense. So it is, it's the opposite of an install script. And um, this will be landing in 1804. It's, it's already essentially the work's done, right? It, it, it landed in the daily images yesterday. Oh! So, yeah. Fantastic. So it's there. It's just down to each of the flavors now to create their minimal remove file in their seeds. And then they can take advantage of that function as well. <sighs> well, that's... That's really great. Um, it's it's funny that we're just getting to it now, don't you think? In a way, like why haven't we had this for years? It's interesting because w- before I worked at Canonical, I did some work with the Ubuntu team where we were trying to achieve precisely this. Ah, because we wanted minimal installations, and in fact, Ubuntu make their own set of, I think they call them core images. Uh, available and have done for a couple of years now where they effectively have an ISO which is the minimal ISO so it's you know what I've just described but already packed in in an ISO Um, and we did some work to try and land that in a way that everyone could have two ISOs so you could have an Ubuntu Mate I think we called them base an Ubuntu Mate base ISO and the full fat ISO Um, and for reasons people were busy that never that never got any traction and now you know now we have this which is i think quite an elegant solution because now there's still one iso to download but you can use it in two ways so did this did this ball get rolling from what you probably understand because i know it's not directly work that you were involved in uh did rocks probably better to ask but did this get started based on some of the feedback that people like people i like chrome or i prefer mpv and so is this sort of a is this sort of a middle ground I think you're well connected with Did Rocks, and you should ask him that question because I, I don't know the origin story okay. of of how this came to be. Because it, it is funny that it's just showing up now in 1804. I mean, I'm, I'm thankful for it, uh, but uh, I think this, to a degree, is why is probably why some people have chosen other distributions. I'm sure not by a very large percentage, but I bet there's people in our audience that have decided to go a different yeah. route just because of the package selection. I mean, that was what drove people to Ubuntu too at the same time. Yeah, and you've got both options now. You know, those yeah. people that like like a, a a very specific desktop experience can can do that. You know, for some people, all you actually need is the minimal install because you can do everything in a browser. You've basically created a Chromebook at that point. Yeah, <laughs> and now you can install containers and in, or applications and containers, and it's all cyclical, cyclical, or whatever it is, circular, cyclical. What is it? What am I looking for, Wes? Cyclical, cyclical. That's what it is. Cyclical. You got there yourself. Well, Wimpy, thank you for telling us all about that. You know me; I just love hearing about that. I hope other people do too, because even if you're not an Ubuntu Mate user, I think this stuff is fascinating. Because right here, I'm I'm sitting on a Plasma Neon desktop, but yet I this I love hearing about. It. I love the thought behind it, and all of it. So I really always appreciate when you come out here and tell us all that stuff. Um, You're welcome. I don't know if anybody out there has had a chance to try Kadian Live recently. A lot of people ask about video editing still. We mm-hmm. get a lot of questions. And I, I just sort of – I kind of punt and I punt and I punt. But um, it's getting legitimate with Kadian Live. And uh, I'd like to know people who are doing actual serious amounts of video editing under Linux like you know, like Ven Stone who edits – you know, I think he's doing two shows a week uh, under Linux. But I think he uses um, OpenShot. Uh, like an old version of OpenShot because he's a madman, Ven. You're, oh, a, you're, Ven. That's crazy. You're, you're a madman. Crazy. So I don't know if – I'd like to know if somebody like Ven or – there's probably not as many people that do as much editing as he does. But on a regular basis, they're putting out complex, long content um, on Linux. Have you tried the new Kadian Live? Because this to me is hitting a lot of what draws me to Final Cut. And this uh, is getting – I don't know. Maybe it's also the fact – probably is a bit of the fact that I've been on a Plasma Kick recently too. And, and this is <laughs> a cute – it's a cute application. So it also looks really great on my desktop. But 
I I downloaded the app image. Yes, it's an app image. So you can they it, it's kind of a convoluted process. Uh, I will link to the fastest way for you to get the app image because they don't just link to it directly. They they make you attend this cafe session and you can find a link to a text file that has a list of the mirrors which will then land you on this page that I have found. So I will link this to you if you want to try it and give me feedback because I'm going to experiment a little bit with it, but I'm honestly just not doing as much video as I was in the past, so I'm not the best candidate. But it looks like a super great release. One of the things that I really like about Cadian Live is they have this really steady approach uh, and uh, they've been like on this – we do – like so for example, 17.12 series has just been constant, solid, fix this little thing, solve this bug, come up with a solution for that, uh, minor bug fix stuff. Um, and so you can just say, well, I'm on this branch. That's what I get. And I really like that about the about that too. So 18.04 is the next version which uh, I don't think is necessarily synced up to any Ubuntu number, but it's sort of that same versioning system. And uh, they are working out the rough edges right now. They've published it as a app image, which I'll link to. And if you're out there and want to give them some feedback, if I was going to bet on a horse right now for getting really good approachable video editing on desktop Linux, as much as I respect Jonathan and all the hard continuing work he's doing into OpenShot over the years, the horse I would bet on right now is Cadian Live. Not Lightworks, not all of the other it's ones that we send in. It's really nice. It's Cadian Live. Yeah, there's a lot of different ones. There's like a clip editor one, I, you know, but it's just, yeah. So anyways, if you want to help what I think is potentially um, our best hope for good uh, video editing. And we need one. Yeah, I just, it's called, the link in the show notes will be called KDE Experience Freedom with an exclamation mark. <laughs> KDE dash experience freedom with an exclamation mark. That's the link to look for because that's the typical kind of communication you get from the KDE group out there. They just they're not so good with with the way they phrase things or the that kind of Sounds I love like them. you haven't invested in freedom them. enough over there. I know. I know. I need to invest yeah, with in the program. I need to invest in freedom as their website tells me and I need to experience freedom with an exclamation mark. I'm feeling pretty free right now. I do appreciate that about it. I do appreciate that. That that may be the new air freshener, but uh, I don't think so. I'm feeling pretty, pretty free. So we'll have that linked in the show notes if you want to check that out. Linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. That's where to go to support the show and sign up for a free seven-day trial. Free seven-day trial. What's better than free? Freedom. And and maybe sometimes like a cold drink on a really – Oh, that's I mean, way better. It's really good. But free, like that. if that drink was free, it's even that, better. Okay, you yeah. see what I'm saying? That's like you best. can't get better. Yeah, no. So seven-day free trial, linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. It's a platform to learn about Linux and all of this stuff around Linux and now the kind of stuff that gets you hired. That's a really good – that's another really nice thing about Linux Academy. I would use this for ongoing training as well as getting hired. Think of it as – Whatever you need to get done, if you need to learn more about a nitty-gritty thing around Linux or if you need to learn about AWS and OpenStack and Azure and all of these things, this is also perhaps the best solution for you. They have some really, really great and, – and they're frequently adding new content to the AWS stuff. I'm really impressed with like their maniacs over there with the content. And the way they get that is they hire full-time instructors, people that are really familiar with this stuff. And they just sit there and they churn out this stuff in a way that – 
I don't know. They have the system. Like they build a process where they they come up with something that's really applicable to people, that's really going to add value for something to learn about. Then they build out the best way to do it. They build into the system where you can choose the distribution you want to learn from. They keep testing it out at each point. Then they start testing it more to get like kind of feedback. And they've this they've reached out to me a few times on this to see if like I want to try out a new system. And then they roll it out and iterate on it in a way that keeps your subscription valuable. And then they add new content and they go back and they keep the old stuff fresh. And then they're ready to help you whenever you get stuck because those instructors are full time. Like this is a machine now. And it's just been getting them a ton of industry credibility. And you can get hands-on scenario-based labs, a course scheduler for when you're busy. And they have all kinds of content that really is great for when you're like just want to hone in on one single thing or you're ready to take on a whole certification course. And so that means when you've got a really busy life or when you've got time to take your career to the next level, they've got content to serve you. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Go there. Sign up for a free seven-day trial and a big thank you to Linux Academy. Seven-day trial free. So great. I hit my mic because my hands are You're dancing You're so around. excited. I really was. <laughs> LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. All right, you crazy sons of bitches. I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't be dragged around like this anymore. Ooh, we're going to talk about this. <sighs> So I asked this really stupid question last week. Well, actually, it started when I asked the question, would you like to switch to Discord? And everybody said yes. And now here we are, uh, what, three, four months into this thing? Maybe a little more than that? Six months? I don't know. I don't know. It feels like it feels, ages. It feels like it's been 25 years. And uh, I actually don't mind Discord. I, I've, I'm also – I've been hanging out in other communities. And you know what I, I, what I like is the, is the communities that don't have to waffle like this. That's what I like. It's just you don't waffle. You don't move it. You just, you just invest and you build. And every time I feel like we change direction, you spill off some people. You also gain new people. So it's got its pros and its cons. But we went, we went out to a vote and we said, should we switch from Discord back to IRC or just hang tight, stick it out with Discord for the long haul? You know, And each has its pros and cons. IRCs. Um, well, it's, it's like, it's like plumbing at this point. It's pretty universal and, uh, it's, it's a classic. Like, it's just like, it's amongst our community. It's got a bit of a barrier of entry to people outside the open source community, but it's, it's a staple in the open source community. Now, Discord has the advantage of a network effect. It also has a bunch of other, um, fancy features that are more modern like they just have their own mobile client and they support emojis and embedded imagery and twitter previews and all this stuff all the fanciness yeah that if you were to say drop down on the planet today in 2018 and try to join a community you would just kind of expect that they might they might just be able to do this they might just have this um so so we really, I wasn't really sure what to do. I was, we were thinking behind the scenes, promatically, that it would be easier for some of the things we want to automate if it was IRC, because we're still trying to come up with this perfect cloud OBS setup where we would ingest an IRC stream and automatically generate a video and send that out on the video stream and all of that. But uh, it just doesn't seem like that would be super easy to do with Discord. It would be pretty easy to do with IRC. So the vote went out, and uh, it was pretty clear. IRC by a 79% vote and Discord had a 21% vote. Not we're not talking hundreds of numbers here, but uh uh that's a, you know, usually that's how it sticks. Those are usually pretty indicative. Um representative I believe would be the term. So that's a 79% win right there. That's huge. I mean that's a, that's a big margin of win for IRC. That's big. People have spoken, I suppose. The thing is, is if we go back to IRC, we go back and we just 
right? Like, does the Discord just die? Is it left to wither? What? Well, I can't. I don't think you got to shut it down. I mean, the main thing I'm thinking about is like, if you want to, if you want to, it's like a prime. It's like the primary chat room. So it's it's what's on the live stream. It's where people idle the most, or are they having an active conversation? Yeah. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I don't have answers to that. I don't. I don't like any of this. But I want to do what the audience likes in this regard because it's it's a tool for them. So virtual lug, you guys, uh, you guys get first say since you're here. You're in the voice chat. You you get first say. Does anybody have a strong opinion on this one way or the other? I'd love to hear some input on this because I'm really, I really, I just want to use whatever people like. Yeah, well, well, to me, I would see the Discord as like the, um, I would say the Reddit chat versus Reddit chat versus the RC being the live stream, and also since there are very few, since there are very few people who go to the live stream to participate, I mean, there are more people that are coming in in a day, week, at months, and years to come, such as myself that came in recently, but it's. I would say IRC would fill that niche pretty well with the live stream, and plus there are some clients that do support some of the newer features that you mentioned. So, hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to leave the vote up for a little bit longer uh, while I think about it. I'm not in a huge rush to do anything, and I got to go to scale. But uh, it's on my mind. I want to do what people like. So, uh, and you know. Meanwhile, the Telegram group's going solid. So <laughs> yeah, that's, they're up in their own universe. That over is there. good, really. That's kind of a nice thing. It's like that's just like something like well, they don't, we don't care. Yeah. Uh, if you want to get in on that, JupiterBroadcasting.com/slash/Telegram to join our Telegram group. Uh, there's my uh, quarterly plug for that. All right, Wes. Well, that's not actually what we're. Uh, no, it's not. I just I, I guess that's on my mind. Like I said, this is a meandering. It's on episode. everyone's mind. Let's talk about crankshaft. This is pretty, pretty great. Now, I'm gonna, I'll play a little bit of the demo for you. Just I'm going to do a couple of bits of it because <clears throat> it's, it's a little rough. But just to give you an idea of what it's like. So you uh, download this image. You write it to the SD card. You toss it in your Raspberry Pi. You hook up the $60 touchscreen. And- okay, so in this video, I just want to talk real quick about the capability of um, Open Auto and um, how it's working in... Uh, the alpha version of crankshaft right now and uh, let's start um, this is just a raspberry pi 3b and so he goes through and demos the functionality of this thing and it once he gets it up and running uh, it just looks like android auto completely with uh, your playback controls your google now uh, cards uh, it's communicating with his android device um, he just makes a phone call through it he can see the battery life of his phone he can use uh, navigation maps. It looks pretty handy. It actually, there he's using Pocket Cast to listen to Radiolab. <laughs> um, I kind of want to do this in my truck. You know what I'm talking about because my screen's all screwed yeah, up. Yeah, I mean, you're a perfect candidate I, for it. I know. I know. If somebody if somebody has any experience with this, you got to let me know because I'm tempted around. to do this. We just need the touch screen. I need the screen. Yeah, I need to pick up the screen. Uh, and then, you know, then you'd have to figure out a way to install in the dash, which is not my strength. I got to say, but it's called Crankshaft and uh, that was a developer there who you heard in the video. It's just, it's a project just by, by him. It's a, it's just his thing. And, uh, it's admittedly alpha, but, uh, come on, it's, it's going to be pretty cool. I think Android auto is fairly baked and it's, it's using, uh, I think Raspbian for the, uh, distribution. And there's a pretty active amount of people on the GitHub, uh, Talking to him about it. It's nice to be able to play in that space at all and maybe even have a system that actually works and could be useful. 
Yeah, and the main thing that I wanted to avoid with something like this was, and I was thinking like a car computer. I've been thinking about that mm-hmm. for for a couple of months. So I haven't really, really. I I the only reason I didn't go with a car computer is in the couple of months that I've been sort of debating what to do. I have found that I am perfectly happy just doing everything on my phone and having it go through the Bluetooth audio, um, and I don't really need my radio because not, I'm not listening to radio. Um, and I don't listen to anything through the radio other than my phone now. So I thought, well, could I just get by with the phone? But the thing that this offers is, A, your phone's still usable. But B, it puts it up on a bigger screen with more limited functionality that's focused for when you're driving. And for like the navigation and the, and the messages and stuff like that, I think I would prefer that. And the ability to do search and stuff. So hello there. Who was that? Oh, my <laughs> Who was that? Dang. Oh, wimpy. Uh, <laughs> now, would you prefer a a uh, a car pewter with a touch screen, or would you prefer one of those laptop uh, mounts? Yeah, mounts, like you have in a police cruiser. That would be the way. That would be the way Noah would go. Noah's got one of those it in his Jeep. Fun, like one of those cop laptop <laughs> mounts. God, Noah's such a gearhead, man. You know, I, I tell you what, I don't know. I, I feel like that's too fiddly. See, that's what I'm liking about the Android Auto here on the Raspberry Pi. If you could get it mounted well, it could be out of the way yeah. in the dash. It's like a distilled user interface that's simplified for while you're driving. It's less cluttered. And going to laptops kind of like the opposite direction of that. Uh, Go ahead. I mean, you can, you can use the uh, Android Auto app to simulate this in order to get a feel for the Android Auto interface. Ah, uh, yeah. That's another thing is really I already have the Raspberry Pi 3. I think. Isn't there one around here somewhere? There is one around here, other, unless it got put into use somewhere. Uh, so I already have that part. I just need the screen. And then it's sort of a low-cost tr- test. It's pretty great that this guy's. Oh, by the way, that is getcrankshaft.com. I should have said the URL sooner. Sorry about that. Getcrankshaft.com is where you go. Uh, if anybody is going to scale, scale 16x, let me know if you've got something like that down there because I want to see it. If you, got, if you bring your car... Let me see it. I want to see that. That'd be pretty cool. Uh, I want to give a quick mention, too. Speaking of scale, I've been talking about scale in the new relaunch Tech Talk today. I mentioned that last week. We've now posted two freaking episodes what? since last week's Linux Unplugged. Wow. Yeah. And uh, there's some uh, nostalgia goodness if you're a Linux action show former listener. There's some nostalgia goodness in episode 262, Tech Talk dot today is where you find those tech talk dot today. And I'll be covering my journey to scale in that crap. Up in that S, as Ooh. they say. I'm really happy with the way those two episodes have turned out. It's been, it's been a bit of a, uh, a creative endeavor, but I've enjoyed it. And it's gotten, you know, I got an itch. I had, that, I had that ratch, that rash right there I wanted to scratch, so I've been able to scratch that. That always feels good. Yeah, and it gives me a spot to put a bunch of content in scale, like the trip there and yeah. meeting people and all that and stuff. And we that's... get tech talk back for a, little, a brief yeah. little minute here. For at least uh, 10 episodes. So season one, and we were two episodes in. So if you haven't gotten on board yet, they're shorter too. They're about 20 minutes. So go to techtalk.today. Yeah. Yeah. Ride this hype train with easy us. Easy peasy. And even if you want to catch up on two, it's, it's a 40-minute podcast. And it's nice and tight. It's, I think mm. – I hope people like it. I hope people like it because uh, I'm going to put all I can into it for, for the 10 episodes I'm going to do. And then I'm going to take a break. And I'm going to be done. And that's going to be wonderful. Uh, Wimpy has inspired me. You've you've taught me well, Wimpy. And the value of this is negative. No, it's not. You're I appreciate welcome. it. I appreciate it. That season idea. Only I may never come back. I think. So that's, <laughs> right. Yeah. That might be the. Uh, that my twist might be. It, last time I put the show on hold, it was on hold for two years. So. <laughs> you never can tell. You never know. You never know. All right. Well, guess what? We're just about done here. We've been uh, we've been uh, we've been screwing around here, but uh, this is just our low key episode before I go to scale. So next week, I will be at scale with Noah. 
And I'm pretty sure we'll just do the show live from there. We'll just do a regular episode, but we'll happen to be at scale. I don't know if we'll – we might have a few interviews or something. If we get something good, we'll put it in the show. Uh, so you'll be here. Yeah. Wes is going to come into studio and uh, try to run all this crap on your own. Good luck with that. Jeez Louise. And then we'll probably uh, have an episode. Let's just say that. We'll be down there throwing our crap together while you're in here trying to remember how to turn all this stuff back on. And uh, we, one way or another, we should end up with a show next oh, week. Yeah. Uh, speaking of shows coming back, uh, rumor has it the Ubuntu podcast is coming back, so go get more wimpy. Oh, that's exciting. Yep. The Ubuntu podcast is on the return. The is true. Ah. And uh, if you want more West Payne, why not, why not a little TechSnap? TechSnap.Systems for the TechSnap program, which is back and better than ever. If I don't say so myself, techsnap.systems and at Wes Payne on Twitter. I'm at Chris LAS. The network is at Jupiter Signal. Stick around for Ask Noah if you're on the live stream. Oh, Noah's coming up. Yeah, definitely. He's got a pretty special guest. <gasps> pretty, pretty special. I won't say anymore, but that's coming up soon. You show up on Tuesdays and you stick around for Linux Unplugged. You join the virtual lug, hang out in our chat room, and then sit back and enjoy the Ask Noah show. You could even call in and ask him a question. That's how that kind of thing works. It's a Tuesday Linux sandwich, and you can get the times at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Also, our Reddit's at linuxunplugged.reddit.com. Thanks for being here. See you next week. Bye. Right, let's get a title now. Let's get out of oh, here. Oh, a title. Yeah, Great we got to get a title. We got to get the titles. Hello, Eric. Is your weed extraction process done over there? Did it all work out? Dude, seriously. When you guys started talking about the computer stuff, I totally could jump in because I have one. I have an Android one, but then a leaf blower came by. Yeah, nice. Well, you know, that's what happens. That's what happens. Oh, the windstorm. That's my furnace. Uh, the smell of free breeze. That's pretty good, Tech Mav, uh, but uh, probably a little too esoteric. Uh, what do you got? Anybody else got a title? What else do we got? Uh, KDE Freedom? Oh, no. Uh, scanning. Indications negative. Hmm. Crankshaft. Hmm. Accessing. Scanning. Scanning. Crankshaft. I have a Tech Talk Today question. Yes, sir. Um, the feeds that I found in Pocket Cast a tech talk today aren't being updated have you checked them recently because they had a bug on their server side thing with the feed the okay list. let me let me try again yeah that would be no good i just googled the um i just googled for talk today and went to the new one that's listed on the web website so yeah, if you want to just put it in it's just tech talk dot today slash rss if you want to just put it by in. the way nice new logo <laughs> with the feet <laughs> Well, I mean, you had it, it's different than the one you had last time, correct? Yeah, the, little tweaked, yeah. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yabby titles, yay! Gotta titles. constantly iterate. Not much there on JB titles. Oh, there's a little more. There's a little more. Uh, crank that Foss shaft. Uh, crankshaft on the move. Can we GTK all live together? I have the power. 
People are reaching deep this week. People are reaching deep. I appreciate freedom. it. I appreciate it. People are reaching deep. Easy Linux, small and cool. Bad news, Chris. What's that? It cast says it's from September years ago. Hmm. I don't. I don't know what's going on with that. Now, what? Uh, okay. What if you put in techtalk.today slash RSS? Does it pull down a new? Does the uh, old RSS still show the old logo, Wimpy? Okay. Usually, PocketCast is very up to date when it comes to logos and all that. PocketCast. I'm gonna go get. Whoa, Colonel, uh, you have uh, hot day. Holy shit! Issues. Maybe that's you what he was going bad. for. Is that Noah? Yeah. That Noah? yeah. <laughs> Noah sounds terrible. Yo, Noah. Yeah, I can. I, I can barely I hear. I thought you. my audio was bad. Yeah, he's also operating a wood chipper at the moment. Uh, he's probably just got too much yeah, so The updated CSS is uh, RSS is just fine, but oh, the, but the old the, feed. In the, <clears throat> I got to talk yeah, to him. Yeah. We actually we talked. We had it. So so that was an issue. And we talked to him. I said, okay, we got it fixed now. And then the person that we were working with said it was working. But I don't actually use Pocket Cast myself, so I'm installing it right now. Although, by the way, there's actually a newer app that I would recommend to people who are not on Pocket Cast yet. It's called Castbox. Um, it seems to be... Jesus, Noah. Noah, you stop. You're ruining my, you're ruining my post show. Here, let me hit stop on the recording. You just, you just, you just destroyed my post show. <laughs>